Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. A reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 1 through 7. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me, and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your verse voice heard higher. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is, is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable by the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Voici le jeune auquel je prends plaisir. Détache le chaîne, chaîne de la méchanceté. Dénoue les liens de la servitude, renvoie libre les opprimés, et que, le, et que le rompe toute espèce de joug, partage ton pain avec celui qui a faim, et fais entrer dans ta maison les malheureux sans asile. Si tu vois un homme nu, couvre-le, et ne te détourne pas de ton semblable. あくにゆる束縛を立ち、首木の結び目をほどいて敷いてあげられた人を解放し、首木をことごとく折ること。さらに飢えた人にあなたのパンを先与え、さまよう貧しい人を家に招き入れ、裸の人に愛は衣を着
If that's what you're up to here, well then that's what there is to see here, here and now. The visible face of God's love facing the world, facing out, facing onward into a future full of grace and hope. And what a thing it is to see. So this morning, we're on our way to this table together. And as we make our way there, I want to try to put into words a few quick things about what you look like on your way to this meal. Well, about what we look like, what the face of God facing outward and onward toward the world looks like. To do that, let me lean on these few verses from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, where, as it happens, Jesus, too, is on his way to a meal. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Just then, in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy. And Jesus asked the lawyers and Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took the man and healed him and sent him on his way. And then he said to them, if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on the Sabbath day? And they could not reply to this. Then when Jesus noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit in the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. When you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place. So that when your host comes, your host may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. As so often happens in the stories of Jesus, this one begins by fixing its gaze on someone who is threadbare and unattractive and easy to overlook. A person afflicted with an illness that the Bible calls dropsy, which is a name for a debilitating and unpicturesque failure of several bodily systems. Jesus is on the way to a Sabbath dinner. And he knows he's being watched carefully by religious authorities who are trying to catch him in the act of being disrespectful to the Sabbath-keeping tradition that they all share. So when he encounters this person with this illness, Jesus comes right out and asks the question that's sort of hovering in the air among them all. Is it or isn't it respectful of God's law to do the work of healing on the Sabbath day. But the ones who are watching Jesus carefully, waiting to catch him dishonoring God, can't figure out how to answer this question in a way that makes him look bad. 
so no one says anything. It's in that charged silence that Jesus and the man with dropsy stand face to face and see the beauty and integrity and wholeness in each other. And then Jesus lands another of his towering questions as the scene closes. If your child fell into a well on the Sabbath, would you set aside your religious observance long enough to rescue your child? Or not? And then he's at the house of his host and it's time for dinner. It'll be a meal that involves the turning of tables. For one thing, Jesus is the one doing the careful watching now. As the guests make their way to the table, Jesus notices how they jockey for the best seats, the places of honor and power and prestige that certain kinds of gatherings always serve up and that matter to some people more than food or company or much of anything else. Jesus says, when you're invited to a banquet, no matter who you are, don't sit down in the place of honor. What happens if someone for whom the host had that special seat in mind should arrive? Seems like a fairly elementary piece of advice in the social graces, but there are always some people who need to start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. <laughs> but when you're invited, go and sit down at the least place. And then maybe your host will come and say to you, friend, move up higher and you'll feel honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. And even if the subject of table manners is not quite as highly charged for us as it was for Jesus' audience, this little parable ends with a teaching that has gotten a lot of traction in the Christian life. In fact, I saw one of you just a moment ago when I read it, mouthing the words, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. That being a follower of Jesus means humbling ourselves is a truth that has come to be deeply woven into the design of Christian self-understanding. We remember how it was that Jesus said that to follow him would mean taking up one's cross. And we remember how moved Paul was by the fact that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and humbled himself, even to the point of death. And this very week, the whole church throughout the world marked the feast day of St. Francis, one of our greatest moral heroes who began life as the scion of a rich family, but then shed his privilege and fortune to live closer to the same poverty that Jesus knew. And then we think of Dorothy Day, who chose life in the slums of New York in order to illuminate the indelible dignity and worth of impoverished. People. And we think of the late Jean Vanier, who founded the L'Arche Communities, where fully able people choose to live side by side with mentally challenged and intellectually disabled people as their companions in order to learn compassion from them. And we think of Nelson Mandela, who spent decades enduring the indignities of Robbins Island in order to emerge on the high moral ground of the ashes of apartheid. 
that the way of Christian life leads through self-giving, self-emptying, self-simplifying. Seems one of the most obvious and familiar, if also one of the most challenging of the truths that we face together as we return to church week by week to ponder who we are and who we want to be. But it's interesting to notice the ingenious way that Scripture has woven this parable of humility together with another facet of Jesus' way of being that hasn't, I think, for some reason imprinted itself quite as vividly into our thumbnail sketch of the Christian life. His audacity. Back on the way to the Sabbath table, Jesus didn't blink an eye as he took on those religious authorities watching disdainfully and healed the person with dropsy right there in front of them, and then left them hanging on the hook of a very sharp question. All along the way of his life, he chose to befriend notorious sinners, despised social outcasts, misfits, and rogues without the slightest hesitation. And in the end, with nothing less than his life at stake, Jesus met the gaze of the empire face to face in the person of Pontius Pilate trying to pin a trumped up charge on him. And Jesus said, don't put your labels on me. I know who I am. And the power you think you have over me is only a measure of the weakness of everything you represent. So as I admire the view of the mission of this church spread out in this room before us, I want to suggest that our picture of the Christian life will be enriched and strengthened if we consider the way in which the Christian life holds together humility and audacity as the warp and weft hold the strands together on the looms of the world. I think our grasp of the work that God has given us to do will be deeper and richer if we ponder the ways in which gentleness and confidence are not really different things, but somehow part of the same thing. I think our embrace of the life of Jesus, our following in the footsteps of Jesus, will be more wholehearted if we cultivate our sense that both modesty and moxie are intrinsic to the practice of Christianity. We should circle back for just a moment to Jesus' idea of humbling ourselves, just to remember what a rich idea that is. Humble is not a synonym for obsequious or ineffectual. It comes from the same root, don't you love this, as the word humus meaning earth, soil, ground. Being humble doesn't mean thinking of yourself as dirt. It means being grounded and rooted and clear about who you are and where you come from. Being humble doesn't mean being in doubt about your own worth. It means being clear about everyone's worth and grounded in your own. Being humble, we know, may mean making sacrifices. But when it does, those sacrifices are made from a place that's rooted in the strength of self-possession 
not in the weakness of self-abasement. I mean, really, when you think about it, probably there is no true humility without audacity. Because if your roots go down into the humus of our truest and best humanity to drink in the nutrients of love and conscience and wisdom and grace, well, who then can help but push what needs to be pushed? Who then can help but say what needs to be said? Who then can help but stand for what needs to be championed? Oh, hard times humble us, don't they? And you know something about that, don't you? Hard times throw us into critical reflection. And you have the humble statement of what you learned from hard times. And you also have the audacity to name as your purpose together nothing less than to make God's love visible in this world as your warp and weft. Maybe these pews are your loom or these rafters on which you're weaving this mission of yours, making God's love as visible as a tapestry. Or maybe this liturgy is your loom, these familiar patterns of praise and proclamation and prayer through which the weekly colors of your lives flash back and forth, building the breathtaking design of a world where everyone respects each other's ways. So, we make our way to the table. When we get there and cast our eyes around, it may startle us at first to find how many are gathered there. There are a lot of churches in the world, and they are different in so many ways. And yet the same here. We are in the presence of the presence of the great globe itself. And what a powerful thing it is this morning to take in a view that it encompasses every follower of Jesus across the world who has taken him at his word that he be here to meet them. Seeing them all through the lens of bread and wine. To be honored in the presence of all who sit at this table with us right now. It turns out that the fast that God chooses is a feast after all. A feast of bread and justice. A feast of freedom and compassion. A feast of humility and audacity. And so maybe just for a moment in that vast crowd, a hush falls over us. And in the silence, a couple of those towering questions of Jesus linger to see us now into a new chapter. How, I wonder, how do the proud legacies of this church also humble us and ground us in fresh truth about who we have been, for better and for worse, and who we want to be? That's one question. And the other, 
how I wonder. Might the struggles and anguish that we have known and that the church in this world at this time knows, how might those struggles and anguish also inspire audacity in us? What needs to be said now that is ours to say? What needs to be done now that we can do? So we make our way to the table and look at you, says God. Facing the world, facing outward, facing onward. What a thing it is to see. What a thing it is to see. Hallelujah. Holy are you, God of all creation, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Yearning for us to know you, he came to be your face of love and compassion for all. Hungering for reconciliation between you and your children, he became the broken bread of life. Aching for our release from the agony of sin and death, he suffered on the cross so we might be made well. God and community, holy in one, we give you thanks that we are all made in your image. Grateful for our rich diversity, still we seek solidarity with the faithful around the world. By your spirit, help the body of Christ be one. Help the left hand and the right hand work as one in ministry to all the world. Bring the blessing of the diversity of the body to bear fruit, helping the eyes and ears sense your present and coming kingdom. Redeemer of all creation, pour out your spirit upon the gifts of bread and cup, and on our sisters and brothers in Christ. Your spirit gives us life so we may go and serve others. Your spirit heals our brokenness so that we may bring healing to all. Your spirit graces us with peace so we may be peacemakers for our, for our communities. And when we stand around your table, all hurtful words silenced, all pain left behind, with hope and grace, our closest friends, we will join our hearts and voices with our sisters and brothers who forever sing of your glory, praying the very words that you placed upon our lips. Our, our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.